Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. We have an awesome show tonight as we have a phenomenal comedian coming on momentarily named Liz Miele, and I'm extremely excited to have her on the show tonight. I will do a nice introduction for her in a moment. Uh, if you're tuning in tonight, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com, and if you want to call in to ask questions, the number is 805-243-1320. I also have a chat room open, uh, so if you want to post questions in there, too, that's great. I am a one-person show, so I will do my best to go back and forth between the various windows I've opened, but I really want to predominantly stay focused on the interview because it's just going to be an amazing story that Liz has to share with us, and uh, I've done a lot of research on her, read a lot about her, checked out a lot of her comedy stuff, and she's just really, really good, so it's going to be an awesome show. So I would like to also just do a brief background, let everyone know. I started the show approximately a year and a half ago with the concept in mind to create a forum where I could bring people on in the entertainment industry to support them and really help them spread the name and uh, word about who they are to get their names out there. A little bit about about myself, um, I have my doctor's degree in clinical psychology, and the one thing I just love with clinical psychology is interviewing people. So I definitely wanted to combine that aspect of myself, and I also uh, love the entertainment industry. Um, I have an album out as a solo artist. Um, I do some writing for some magazines, and uh, the other thing I really enjoy doing, as I said, was just supporting people. So I thought, what a better thing to do than to bring all of my uh, things together and uh, create a show to support people. So Liz is going to join tonight some other amazing comedians that I've had on, so please check out the podcast for all of my guests. Everyone has done such a phenomenal job. Uh, some of them include... Chris Stefano, Joe Matteris, Mike Buschetti, Joseph Anthony, Jim Florentine, R.C. Smith, and uh, Claudia Stavola. So check some of these podcasts out, and there's many more other talented people, musicians, filmmakers, entrepreneurs, and the list goes on. So I do ask for people to just um, kindly keep in mind on my show, although I mentioned that um, I'm a psychologist, my show is uh, purely for entertainment purposes. We do not do formal therapy on my show, uh, so no pop psychology going on here. And also, I like my guests to really feel open to express themselves, talk about entertaining stories, really, you know, make it a, a great and funny show, but just to keep any identifying information anonymous if you're going to tell, you know, some type of a humiliating or embarrassing story. But we do want to keep the show real, so please feel free to share whatever you'd like on the show. I do have it rated as mature, so if you want to curse a little bit, that's okay. Um, all right. So let me just check to see if Liz is on. Okay, she's on. All right, let me do a nice introduction for her, and then we are going to bring her on the air. So she's been doing comedy ever since she was 16 years old. She's going to tell us all about that tonight. Uh, she is now a veteran. She's performed regularly at clubs including Caroline's, Gotham, and Stand Up New York. Her show is really uh, edgy. I really enjoyed it um, just watching her YouTube stuff. I actually did get to see her probably a year and a half ago. She was on Uncle Vinny's. I never had a chance to formally meet her. She did open for someone. I can't remember who it was, and that's when she really caught my attention. So she really tackles some interesting topics, including interracial dating, uh, fear of walking home alone. She talks a lot about her cat, and uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff tonight. She also has a web series out called Apartment C3, and tonight we're going to be really honing in on her new animated web series, which is called Damaged, and it's a great night because she just released her second episode of it, so we're going to talk all about that too. So for more information, visit her at LizMiele.com, and that's spelled M-I-E-L-E, and also her uh, damaged web series is damagedwebseries.com. So let's bring her on the air. I don't know if she has a show tonight, so we want to fit in as much time as we can. And hey, Liz. Hey, Carrie. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've been kind of locked in my apartment. Just Oh, no. Why? To... What's going on? No, just harassing people. It's like one of those things that, like, I try not to get too, um, I guess, like, invested in the social media world or you just never leave. You know what I mean? Like, you just get spiraled down into the Twitter, you know, (laughs) trenches. And 
But I had to, like, you know, blast out my episode and all that stuff. And next thing I know, I'm like, oh, it's, it's 7.30. I've done nothing but social media all day. I feel gross. I feel super gross. Wow. <laughs> so how many hours have you been doing it? Um, Today? Yeah. I Well, I got up at 8 to see if it was ready because um, I have two animators working on it, but one's actually still in school. He graduates in, a, in less than a month, so he's kind of overwhelmed. So everything's kind of last minute right now. So I woke up at 8 to see if it was done. It wasn't yet. I went back to sleep until, like, 9.30, and then it was ready. And then I just started harassing people at 9.30 on <laughs> just emailing the world. I, I really like uh, business, so I've really read a lot of books about, like, creative business and, like, marketing and stuff like that. I actually find it really interesting. So I kind of experiment on my own projects by using some of the stuff I read. And sometimes awesome. it works. A lot of times, no, I love- sometimes it doesn't. But. That's really cool. And I'm very interested in that stuff, too, in terms of just, you know, how do you get people's attention? And that, you know, it also combines psychology and different types of things like that, like you're talking about with marketing and advertising and business. So that's really cool. Really cool. Yeah, and it, it's, it's one of those things that's always interested me, but it's really hard to market yourself. Like, I've never really enjoyed pitching myself. Or, uh-huh. You know what I mean? It comes off as, like, I'm already in a very egotistical business, but then when you have to, like, write emails and be like, my CD's pretty awesome, everybody should buy it. Like, you just sound dumb. Like, I I know. I never never enjoyed that. But then when you have something like a web series or, like, a podcast or something that kind of separates you a little bit where it's not just you, it's this entity, it's so much easier to pitch because it's not just you. Other people are involved. There's there's something that kind of – it's not just your face that's attached to it. And I've, I've realized I've been much more um, able to attack the business side and, and take pleasure in it because it's not just me and my stand-up. Right. And I can't agree with you more with that because even like you're talking about, like when I released an album, it was like, ugh. Like, like you said, I'm just not that egotistical, narcissistic person where it's like me, me, me. But with the radio show, it's about my guests. So even though Absolutely. I'm promoting my show, it's really about you guys. So that's why I feel like, all right, cool. You know, I can promote the heck out of this because it's really about my guests. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's so, so funny. Like, it, it, it's a really hard hunch to, like, get – it's really hard for people to get over. I still struggle with it where it's like, I don't want to write email. Like, even now, like, I, my sister's a singer, and I try to help her out. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's even hard when it's your family because you still sound ridiculous where you're like, my sister's really talented. And people are like, of course she's really talented. <laughs> I'm like, but no, she's super. It just, it, it's always easier when you have, like, I just wish I was, like, selling Colgate or something. It would be so much easier right. Right. if I was right. selling, Definitely. like, a product where I'm just like, no, your teeth get really clean. I'm not, I'm not messing with you. <laughs> Wow. Well, let's do this. Let's digress a little bit because I really want to, again, make, unfortunately, the show about you because that's what it's about tonight. So we really you want to get about into you. <laughs> no, we want to talk about your upbringing. Where did you grow up? So let's start a little bit there. Tell us a little bit about, you know, you as a kid and, and how you started to get involved in comedy um, so we can kind of start setting the uh, the path to where you're today. Um, I'm the I'm the second oldest of five. That's okay. a good place to start. Not a, not a lot of attention. Um, too many kids. Uh, I grew up in Jersey, like central Jersey, like right outside of Princeton. And uh, nice. both my parents are veterinarians, so that's where my cat love comes from. Really, my okay. animal love comes from my parents, but it's kind of honed in on cats because I'm really lazy and they're the easiest animal to take care of. Um, they pretty much do it all themselves. They bathe themselves. They do everything. I don't even have to feed her. Like she could just eat some roaches. Like she's really self-contained. <laughs> so that's and really we'll where my talk about her more later because I definitely want to bring yeah. her in with your other stuff. But okay, keep going. Yeah. So vet parents, a lot of a lot of kids, and uh, Jersey. So it was just boring for the most part. So <laughs> pretty boring. A lot of responsibility. I took care of my like my younger siblings, and my parents are super busy. They own um, two animal hospitals. Wow. And um, I uh, I always wanted to be funny. I remember that. Like, my earliest memory when it comes to comedy is I wanted to be Sandra Bullock. Like, I wanted to just be a funny person. And I remember thinking, like, she was so, like, adorable. And, like, you know, all the adorable movies she did in, like, the 90s and Mm -hmm. stuff. And so, like, I wanted to be Sandra Bullock. And then, like, sometime around, like, 12 or 13, I was, like, just bored watching TV. And I don't know if it was HBO or Comedy Central – but I saw stand-up, and I was like, what is this? 
Like this, <laughs> this is way better than being a funny actress. Like this is, this is all about me, and you have to listen to my ideas. Like this is the shit. And I remember being like, from that moment on, that's like, I mean, I just, I looked for it on the internet. I looked for it every channel. I mean, I, I was the type of person that every half hour that came out in Comedy Central, I taped wow. on VHS. And then I would watch them, and if I hated them, then I would just tape over them. But if I liked them, you know, I would write Jimmy Dore down, and then I would just watch Jimmy Dore, and then I would take it over to my friend's place, and we would all watch Jimmy Dore. And then I'd be like, have you heard about Mitch Hedberg? And then we'd all watch Mitch Hedberg, and then we would just quote <laughs> Mitch Hedberg. And then Paula Poundstone would be on, and I would just quote all Paula Poundstone, and my family would tell me to shut up, but I was, like, so obsessed with Paula Poundstone. It was like that for, like, forever. Wow. And, um, when I was 14, I actually started writing jokes. Like, I, I never really had good friends. Um, I started making friends when I was 14, but it was still, like, I didn't know how to really talk to people. But I kind of started making friends through my jokes, so I would literally go home and write all these jokes. And then in the hallways, to like, the people I was trying to be friends with, I would hand them out to them, and I would ask them to, like, underline what they thought was funny, star the jokes that were really funny. And that's kind of how I came my first five minutes. Like, 14 and 15 years old, I was writing all these jokes, and I literally picked the best five, and I did my first set when I was 16. Wow. And, did uh, you, it was like, just to digress, as a kid, were you very shy? Is that why we were talking about, you know, writing these jokes and kind of using it as a, you know, a mechanism to kind of interact with people? Was that something that was difficult for you? Um, I think so. I, I, It's weird, like, because I'm from a big family, like, it almost mm-hmm. feels like, you're split between two people because even my mom, my mom's incredibly shy, but she's not shy around us. My mom is like just the funniest, most like gregarious person at home. (laughs) Everywhere else, she's this kind of meek, quiet person. So for me, I think when I was in school and when I was around other people, I was really polite. I was, you know, everybody thought I was a goody two shows. If, If I cursed, everybody thought it was crazy, even though, you know, I curse like a sailor now. My mom curses like a sailor. It's most people that know me now, it's weird if I don't curse. Like, it's kind of a problem. Like, I sound ridiculous. <laughs> but when I was younger, I was just very scared of being myself, and I was just very quiet. And so when, you know, and I'm still kind of like this in the sense that when somebody opens up the gates, I kind of just, I flood out and I feel comfortable. And I just now mm-hmm. feel more comfortable and more groups of people. But I think it took me a while even to um, open myself up to people that I considered friends. And so I think this was... I. I think there's something about coming from a um, a big family, especially my family is kind of rough, and it was a, it was definitely a difficult childhood. But I think there is something about not feeling listened to that that's where a lot of my passion comes from. Is just, right. They have to listen to me. I have a microphone, <laughs> even if it's not good. You know, at an open mic, three people have to listen to me. That's so right. there was something about that that I guess I just really needed. And it seemed too much to ask my friends to listen to me. And I, it really took me a long time to even open up to my friends and tell them how I really felt about things. So really the first people I opened up to, even before I started seeing a therapist, was strangers, which is pretty backwards and sad when I think about it. <laughs> no, no, I think everyone, and I think, you know, I'd, I'd like to get into it a little later. We can get into it now. I think comedians especially, from the ones that I've met and I've seen perform, I mean, you know, I think you guys get into the business for a variety of reasons. And like you're saying, for one reason for you, it was a way for you to express yourself and to, yeah. you know, get some attention. Um, you know, other yeah. people deal with some much deeper demons and it's a way for them to kind of, you know, almost do their own therapy on stage. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was, I, it's funny because I fought therapy for a really long time and I feel like it was, there's something, there's, there's something about really digging deep and trying to understand your, how you feel about things. Mm-hmm. Even if it's as basic as, like, why are you – like, I think about it all the time. Like, somebody will say something messed up to me on the bus, and I'll spend the whole day trying to figure out why I'm mad about it because I want to write a joke about it. And a lot of times I'll come back and I'll actually learn something about myself and why I got triggered by whatever that person said. And it's like I've learned so much about myself just because I wanted to write a joke about it because I knew there was something – you know, instinctually ridiculous about it, but I needed to position it some way. And I'm kind of obsessive when it comes to ideas and problem solving that I'll just obsess over and obsess over it. And I'll get the joke out and then I'll be like, oh, well, I was definitely in the wrong there. And this is why. <laughs> and it's kind of right, funny. Right, right, right. Like, I've definitely grown and 
I don't know if all comics are like this, but I've definitely become a better person because I've sat back and been like, nope, I was the bitch in that situation, and I'm going to tell everybody, and I'm going to put myself out there, and it's going to be embarrassing, but I think the joke is funny, and I'm kind of proud that I found this out about myself. No, I think that's great. I think that's a really interesting thing that you actually said because I think, unfortunately, sometimes, you, you know, you see this, what we call in psychology, like a repetition compulsion where, you know, some of the comedians that have substance abuse issues, for example, you know, they get clean and then before you know it, unfortunately, they're back to using again. But I think by what you're talking about, by actually getting insight into yourself, learning about yourself and growing, that's that's an awesome thing that you're able as a comic to say, wow, this is actually helping me grow as a person. Versus, you well, know, sometimes people. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's the the idea of, of allowing yourself to be aware of it. Like, I definitely, like, I, I, I've i never, like, really struggled with, like, substance abuse. I went through phases of it. Like, I would say from, like, 13 to 17, I was a huge pothead and drank a shit ton. <laughs> okay. Um, but actually, when I started doing comedy, I really stopped doing it, which has kind of made me understand, like, even as I get older, like, all my friends drink and smoke pot and, and party and... I go for a run and I tell jokes and I've I've actually found and as I'm reading a book about the power of habit I've actually realized that I I I still have the obsessive mm-hmm. you know part of me and I still um need some kind of high or endorphins I've just found it in a a better way sometimes it has gotten out of hand I've definitely gotten to a place where I'm like I can't run off my feelings like I can't I don't fit into my pants right like, I need I need to do something I need to cut back a little bit. But even just be aware that, like, the reason you I'm running so much right quality. now. Yeah, the reason right. I'm, you know, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm running ten miles today is because somebody hurt my feelings and I don't want to mm-hmm. think about it. Like, Aww. and to, to kind of see that because the truth was when I was fourteen, somebody hurt my feelings and I would just get high as fuck. And that's, it's like it's slightly, it's definitely different. And there's a lot of people that are like, well, aren't you, you know, your problems aren't real, but you know, you start to see how you kind of grow and, you know, I'm I'm glad that I, I don't drink anymore and I'm glad that, you know, I do miss pot. It's mostly I have panic attacks on pot. That wasn't really a choice. <laughs> but, but for the most part, I'm, I'm glad that I have an understanding of that I was self-medicating and I'm just kind of self-medicating in a different way. Well, but like you said, a more adaptive way, you know what I mean, in terms yeah. of, you know, a healthier way, like you're saying, and not taking it to the limit where you're like, oh, my God, I'm obsessing so much that I can't stop running, you know, but I think that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's good. Did you say at one point that you stopped doing comedy for a little while? No, 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 I, I never. I misheard you. No. Okay, okay, then, okay, yeah, there yeah. was just something when you were talking that I thought, sorry about that. I've, I've, yeah, I've never actively taken off. I've had people not book me for a while, and that could be considered a break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where people are like, oh, are you taking a break? And it's like, nope, just nobody's booking me, so I guess. It's a unpaid vacation. <laughs> well, we're gonna. I want to get into some of the business stuff too, and just you know what it's like being a female comedian. Um, but tell me a little bit about some of your influences. Who are some of the comedians that influence you? And then we're gonna get into uh, checking out some of your uh, comedy because I want to play a little clip. Um, I. It's funny. I'm kind of all over the place, and there's a lot of people that I love that I'm so far from. But I would say my biggest influence was Wanda Sykes. Like. I was nice. still am pretty obsessed with Wanda Sykes. I think she's amazing. Her ability to talk anything from relationships to politics to just to having a bad day, and it's all just very aware and funny. But uh, I always loved Wanda Sykes, huge George Carlin fan. Um, I loved Greg Giraldo. I loved Mitch Hedberg, um, Bill Burr, Louis C.K., a lot of these people. It's funny, a lot of these mm-hmm. people I loved when I was 14, and they're just starting to break in the last couple of years. And I know. Kind of, or or die. A lot of them died, <laughs> but it's um it's, it's definitely strange. I, I watched so much Comedy Central that I I I could predict like who was going to get a half hour special after they did Premium Blend, and you know what I mean. Wow. And to even see people's careers as they are. Like I made friends with um there's a comic named Maz Jabrani. I don't know if you know who he is. He did like the Axis of Evil tour, and um, okay, uh, he's an LA comic, but he he was on a interview on NPR. Um, when I was 18 years old, and my dad gave me, like, the, the best of comic interviews on NPR. And I wrote to him because it was about Middle Eastern comics after 9-11, and he was so funny to me. So I wrote to him, and I was just asking him for advice because I was new to comedy. And he got back to me, and I was living wow. in New York, and he, he was like, let's get coffee. And he became a good friend of mine. And now, I mean, he's 
he's Middle Eastern, so he's huge around the world. Like, when I open for him, it's, like, kind of crazy how big and dedicated these, you know, these uh, Persian fans are. But um, uh, he's one of those people that it was kind of cool. Like, I kind of grew up with his career. Like, I met him right before he did Premium Blend, and then he did the Axis of Evil tour, and then he did Brown and Friendly, and he was in these movies, and his career is just exploded and I was there like right before it happened and that's kind of how it feels like with some of these people I know now like I remember Ted Alexandro's first half hour special and now he's somebody that's in, you know he plays the dad in my web series and I perform with him all the time and he's one of those people that's that I think one, of, one of the funniest guys working today that's really and I think and we'll talk more about this later but it's interesting to hear you talk about it, and it's so great to hear you talk about people that are supportive and people that have been at it for a while and, you know what I mean, see an up-and-coming comedian and want to kind of, you know, give a hand and give you some guidance. Because I think, and I don't know, you can tell me your impression, I think from, you know, the entertainment industry, usually people are, unfortunately, you know, they want to promote themselves and get their name out there and might not always be the most, you know, helpful or open. But it seems like with you, I mean, have you had any experiences where, you know, you were kind of disappointed because you reached out to someone or you thought someone might be able to... You know, net. You might be able to network with them, but you just it didn't go the way you'd hoped. Oh, I have tons of stories like that, and it's it's <laughs> interesting. I've definitely learned. I learned more. I think it was I. You sometimes get embarrassed when you think about because I. I think new comics in general doesn't matter how old you are. You could be a forty-year-old new comic, or you can sure. be a sixteen-year-old new comic. You're all kind of desperate and looking for answers. And I spent the first couple of years every time I saw somebody I liked going. What's the secret? Like, you know what I mean? Borderline right. being like, what's the secret? And not only is it right. the secret to success, which is a made-up idea because everybody's success is different and your success sure. could be different from somebody else, but um, just what it is to be funny and to create an hour and, and to, to, to be prolific and constantly creating. And, you know, I went up to a lot of people and wrote a lot of letters and, and got in a lot of conversations where, you know, I was really disappointed because – most of them said what I would now say, which is you just have to write a lot and get up a lot, which nothing replaces that. Nothing right. replaces just the brutal amount of times you have to get up and fail and the amount of writing you have to do to just get, just practice. It's really that, right. you know, that 10,000-hour rule that people talk about, and you, you really have to do it with anything. I actually kind of, I'm trying to do a joke right now where um, I accidentally put my 10,000 hours into driving. Because for every hour I perform on the road, I've probably driven eight. I'm an incredible right. driver. You know, wow. I, mean, like I accidentally put in the like I could be a, I could be a magical truck driver at this point. Right. <laughs> but You're like right. I had a, I, it, it's kind of funny. I accidentally became an amazing driver, and it's like one of those things where like I'll drive somebody, like we'll do, I'll do like a road gig with somebody, and I'll be like, oh, like I'll drive my feature, and they'll be like, "You're a really good driver." And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I look like I'm 12 and. And I'm a girl, and there's, like, stereotypes involved. But they'll be like, wow, that was pretty amazing. I was like, I know. I'm really good. <laughs> but um, I actually had a, a recent disappointment. It was actually a friend of mine, and um, he's younger than me, and he's been doing comedy less than me, but he's twice as successful as me. And I was going to L.A., and, you know, I've been working on this this web series, and I have a couple mm-hmm. other scripts, and, and, you know, I have a couple things in the works. And I was going out to L.A., and I had a couple meetings with some literary agents, and um, – I recently lost my manager, so I'm just looking for another manager. And we had worked together, and he's like, if you ever need anything, let me know. And so I was like, hey, I'm going out to L.A. I would love to talk to your manager. Would you put in a good word for me? And he wrote back, well, you know, you shouldn't search for them. They'll come out to you. You know, really, it's it's just about working hard. And he just gave me this full speech about, you know, do your thing, and people will come to you. And it took everything inside of me, because I have anger issues, not to tell him to go (laughs) fuck off. Because my heart said... You, everything was handed to him. He's a talented dude. Like, I'm not taking away from the sure. work he's done and the talent he has, but it's a lot easier. And, it's, you know, he's a black male in, a dom- in, this, in this field where the stereotype for a black male is that they're hilarious. They're hilarious. They can do no wrong. It re- I honestly believe you have to be a really bad comic or a pretty bad drunk to not make it as a black male in this industry. They really, <laughs> they want to. They want you, especially if you're young. Oh my God, if you're young and you look non-threatening, you all. I was. It took me a while to understand that, but all my non-threatening wow. black friends made it twice as fast. And I was like, what? What am I doing wrong? And then I, I had to admit, 
They want me. I'm in an industry where nobody wants me. And that's why you look at the Wanda Sykes and the Kathleen Madigans and the Ellen DeGeneres and the Sarah Silverman's and the Chelsea Handlers, and people don't see them as female comics. They see them as these anomalies. Nobody can tell right. you how to become those women because nobody knows how they got there. They're, they're just doing interesting. And you, and you kind of have to be a powerhouse because nobody really wants you as a female comic. If you make it, if somehow, you know what I mean, if you kind of get in the Schumer way and you just have a bunch of people support you and you know the right people at the right time, then, yeah, you start making money. And as soon as you make money, nobody cares what gender or race you are. You're you're making money for people. Right. But until you right. can prove that you're going to put money in people's pockets, nobody believes in you. So a part of me is like when, when somebody just tells me some of that cliche stuff where I'm like, well, you know, everything I've gotten I've had to work for. And I exactly. don't believe I'm untalented. It's because... I'm in an industry that that doesn't support me. You know, if I wanted to be a firefighter, you know, there's laws in place now. You can women can be in the military, women can be firefighters. You can do all this stuff that typically you weren't be able to do before. But nobody's gonna coddle you. Nobody's gonna tell you. You don't. Nobody's gonna make it easier. And the truth of the matter is, is you you have to deal with those, you know, insecurities, mental insecurities on people's side, and then things that you might not be good at. So the, no dude wants to listen to women talk about their feelings. That's literally the stereotype of, you know, I had a good friend of mine. I was I just went through a breakup, and I said something, and he was checking his phone. I was like, not even listening. He was like, well, we're not dating, so I don't really need to listen. And he was joking, but a part of me wanted to be like, that's the common, I, that's pretty much what dudes feel like. I'm not going to listen to you complain unless you're fucking me. And it's like, oh, my God. Wow. He's lucky that he was joking and he's my friend, but I I spent a good day being like, that's the reason people don't like female comics. Unless I'm inside you, why would I listen to your feelings? (laughs) Well, I think, Liz, like I said, when I saw you the first night, and I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you positive feedback. um, I know you're going on the the rant right now. It's okay. But no, seriously, when I first saw you, and it was, I can't even remember who you opened for. It it had to be like a year and a half ago, but it was at Uncle Vinny's. And I remember right away you, like, drew me in. I just, you were just so real and down to earth, and your stuff was so relatable. And I just loved it, and I was hoping you were going to stick around because I think it was probably right around the time I was starting my radio show. And But you must have had to leave, so you, you kind of stepped out shortly after the other person came on. But I was like, I remembered you from that, and I always kept you in the back of my yeah. mind. I was like, I'm going to get her one day on my show. I think she's great. I think she's got, you know, so much good stuff, so much potential. So well, despite that's, what – that's that's actually the cool thing about being a female comic is that when you get people, they're kind of diehard. So, like, I even think of, like, posting my 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 um, my episode two video for my, my web series. Like, I think about the people that retweet me and share me and all that stuff. And it's like those are the people that, like, this one dude, this guy named Mark, he saw me open for Wyatt Sinek at Caroline's. Then he ended up um, watching all my Apartment C3 videos and just being nice. a huge fan of that. Then he got in a fan of my roommate because she's in the Apartment C3 videos. Then he started seeing, sorry, um, started seeing um, more of my shows. And then he came to my CD taping, and now he follows Damage, and he gave to my Kickstarter. And it's all, be- like, when people like me, and I feel this way about most people that are kind of, you know, a little to the left of what people think a stand-up comic is, they, they're mm-hmm. diehards because it's like, oh, you gained my trust and I, I need to spread the word of Liz. That's cool. <laughs> so it's like I definitely have, have have seen that. And there's a lot of, just like there's the 10,000-hour rules of how to become a good at anything kind of person, there's a lot of great um, uh, articles about how you can be successful just with not having millions of people that think you're great, but just having couple thousand right. people that think they're great. And and, yeah. and 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 acknowledging that that, that is a, it's a success. That is important. That there is value in that. And and that having, you know, a thousand diehard fans beats out, you know, tens of thousand like fair weather fans. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. And I think you made a good point earlier on. You said success is relative. And I think people kind of have to, like you're doing and like I've done with the music stuff and other stuff I've done, is you really have to kind of get down and dirty, do that grunt work. And you really, like you said, along the way you got to find yourself, you got to hear a lot of news, and then I think that's when you really begin to appreciate stuff and, you know, success kind of changes as you kind of grow, you know, and get oh, more absolutely. involved, you know. Oh, so, yeah. 
Definitely. And it's weird how your lack of success has it's it's changed me for the better. Like doing it mm-hmm. the hard way and it taking forever and you know forever in the idea that it might actually what I believe is success might never happen for me. But the idea that you know if I had make it if I you know was on Comedy Central and was touring five years ago, I would have never written all the scripts I've written. I would have never created damage. I would have never done Apartment C3. I would have never mm-hmm. realized how passionate I am about writing and and even see the the quality of my writing. Like I, I um just because I'm pretty broken and I I have good months and bad months being on the road, you know, I've really pushed right. myself to submit to a lot of these shows and I submitted to like a pop culture show, which I am the antithesis of pop culture. I don't know what's okay. going on. I don't care what's going on. You know, if I listen to Rihanna and I enjoy it, I will steal it from the Internet, but I'm not, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I, I can't right. remember the last time. I, I, the only reason I know who Rihanna is is because I, I listen to the radio when I'm on the road and they just pound it. It's just every channel has her. Like, that's how I have to know who somebody is. But if they're, I'm like the opposite of a hipster. I have no idea what anything is at the brink of, you know, becoming something. But, you know, I was like, I just kept not applying to these writing jobs because I was like, I don't, I don't know, is Madonna still in? Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but, you know, as soon as I pushed myself to do it, I realized not only can I do it, but I have an interesting perspective because I'm not wrapped into all the drama of it. I don't know who this person is dating. I don't know who just had a baby. I don't know what right. song this person just came out with. So that you have almost a fresh perspective of pretty much, I think, an old person, <laughs> but a perspective nonetheless for these pop culture shows. And I've really found I have a different voice than I do with stand-up um, and, a, and a, a unique voice and, and, and a voice nonetheless about pop culture if I really pushed myself to do it. And, you know, it's stuff like that. Like, I, I, you know, in the last couple of years, I've really pushed myself to do things I would have never done if I didn't have to. Right. And I think that's awesome. I think because, like you're saying, you find yourself along the way and you find things that you, like you said, either A, thought you might not be a good at and you are good at, and B, things that you actually learn you enjoy doing that years ago you might have been like, what? I wouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think absolutely. that's great. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, do a quick break. I'm just going to I'm gonna play a few minutes of uh, your stand-up act because I definitely want to incorporate that into the show. And then we'll come back. We'll talk about uh, some other comedy stuff, and then we'll get into Damaged and uh, all the other good things that you're up to. Sounds great. Okay? All right. Hold on. Mm-hmm. All right, again, everyone, you are listening to the comedian Liz Neelay on The Carrie Edelman Show Please check her out. Go to LizNeelay.com. We're going to hear some uh, bits of her stand-up act, which is amazing. And unfortunately, it's a really long clip that I have, but I'm just going to play the first few minutes of it. So I definitely want you to check it out on YouTube and get the whole uh, the whole bit of it. So it's uh, YouTube.com uh, forward slash LizNeelay. But here we go. Check out some of her stand-up act. Round of applause for Liz Neely, everybody. Let her hear it. still finishing the last one. <laughs> but I've been running marathons almost as long as I've been doing stand-up comedy. Whenever you do something odd or extreme, people always assume that they can't do it too. And that's not always the case. So stand-up comedy, they're like, oh my god, you're a comic. You could never do that. And I usually agree. I'm like, you're kind of boring. <laughs> but marathons, I don't agree. So they'll be like, oh my god, you run marathons. I could never do that. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, you could. You just have to find that right balance of hating yourself. And you will. Because it's just cardio. It's just an abusive amount of cardio and some unresolved family issues. And you might not agree with me, but only if anybody wakes up at 5 a.m. on a Sunday to run 26 miles in the cold, because they like themselves. Because you know what self-confident people do. Nothing. 
They do nothing and they don't justify it or excuse it. They wake up on a Sunday whenever they feel like it and eat cheese. <laughs> People here I run marathons and they always want to know how. And they never mean the physical. They always mean the mental. How do you mentally run that many miles? And the truth is, is I've always had a big fantasy life. I've always lived inside my head. So for example, on my last run, I won four Grammys. I can't sing, I have no desire to, but I have a beautiful speech that'll make you all cry. For no apparent reason. I hurt my leg recently, I, built a, I got tendonitis in my hip and I had to stop running for a while. And my friend of mine was like, you should do yoga. Yoga's so good for you, you should do yoga. So I started doing yoga and it was really good. I learned a lot. I learned that I'm still angry after yoga. <laughs> I'm exactly like a dog. I need to work out so hard and so often that I no longer have the energy to hurt people. <laughs> yoga sucks. It does nothing. I have a lot of guy friends. So this business is done. All my friends are guys. And I realize it's causing me a lot of anxiety because I feel a deep obligation to teach these men about the modern woman. So every time something big happens in one of my guy friends' lives, I always like to give them flowers. And then when they look disappointed, I just go, yeah. <laughs> How do you like it? <laughs> They're just gonna die. You can't keep them or eat them. It's a recession, everybody. I want Snickers. I'm on birth control. That's why I look like I'm 12. I've been on it for 10 years, and I went on it 10 years ago because I didn't want to have kids. But now I wake up every morning without acne, and that feels like the real reason I'm on it. Just banging dudes and not washing my face. I'm living the feminist dream. I'm pretty sure why this is invented. <laughs> Everyone knows that when you take the birth control pill, you have to take it at the same time every day for it to be effective. So most women set an alarm on their phone. I do something a little differently. I take my pill every time a baby cries. <laughs> it's incredibly effective. It might be too effective, because I've been known to take it seven times a day. This method is not for everyone. There's a lot of side effects. First one is, I'm a lot bitchier. Come out and say it. Pretty bitch. Pretty big bitch. Second one, I used to be taller. <laughs> you just gotta weigh those options. Not a really good process. I'm getting older though, I'm starting to understand myself. Like I now know I never want to get married. I actually don't believe in marriage. And I feel like more people should feel that way, but apparently it's just me and divorced men. <laughs> Which makes me feel if I ever did get conned into marriage, I'd make a great second wife. Because I don't care. <laughs> I don't want a wedding. I don't want a ring. I don't even think I need my husband to pay attention to me. Pretty sure I'm just looking for someone to binge eat and watch movies with. If I'm lucky, marriage is a legal boundment for you to have to feed my cat when I'm out of town. I'm running out of money. I am trying to date, though. All right, everyone, again, that was Liz Neely. Please check out the whole bit. It's amazing. And go to her YouTube.com forward slash Liz Neely. And we will talk about upcoming shows so you can really catch her and see her live. I want to do a couple of quick uh, plugs here. Please check out quantumdesignlab.com. It's an amazing site. They do everything from branding, advertising, website development, uh, logos, and they do some just amazing work. So check them out at quantumdesignlab.com. Also check out Davin's Den. It's a fast-paced podcast featuring comedians Davin Rosenblatt, Joe Curry, and Pip Helix. So if you're looking for a show that can make you think and laugh at the same time, then Davin's Den is a show for you. They go live Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time to watch live episodes, hear or watch old episodes, or find out more about the show. Go to Davin's Den page at davincomedy.com. And lastly, you also want to give a plug to Talent Spotlight Magazine, and Liz might want to check them out. Uh, they do some amazing write-ups on entertainers. And, uh, again, it's talentspotlightmagazine.net. I do some writing on uh, psychology in the entertainment industry. I do some articles for it. And uh, check it out. All right, let's bring her back on. 
All right, Liz. Awesome stuff. Love it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Very, very good. And I want to transition before I forget about your uh, your view on marriage. I think it's very interesting. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm really excited. I I kind of did it backwards. <laughs> I I wrote like a full script and treatment, and you know, got somebody to design the stuff, and then um, and then I kind of went and made it a web series, and and kind of started writing it as little bits and making it something smaller to, again, make it something bigger later, which I think is kind of what you have to do these days because there's just so many people making things, which is amazing. I, I, I wouldn't discourage it at all. But it just is, even though there's not three channels anymore and there's, like, tons of people making stuff, there's, like, three times more people um, uh, trying to be on TV and trying to get noticed, and it's, Kind of crazy. So tell us, oh, absolutely. Tell us how you came up with this, uh, the concept for damage, and tell us a little bit from the groundwork up. Like, how do you even go about developing something like this? I mean, you got an amazing team of people, which I'm even envious of. I'm like, how did you get all these people? I mean, the animators and the writers and the voiceover people. So, what do you do? Like, when you have this idea, you're like, okay, I have an idea for an animated web series, and then where do you go? Uh, it's kind of crazy. This is the kind of stuff that you kind of um, you feel you feel blessed that you have to do it the hard way because mm-hmm. I I learned about skills that I didn't have and it's definitely given me a lot of um, almost self esteem in the sense that like for me I always just feel like I don't have any skills on the comic I don't I I can kind of make things funny sometimes like <laughs> that's like like what am I gonna do with the rest of my life that's all I can do <laughs> but. Uh, I realize I'm I'm a very organized person and I'm a very mm-hmm. um stubborn person and I'm very logical and I because I naturally get overwhelmed like for things that would never overwhelm other people I get really overwhelmed I've learned to um take a step back and break things down into baby pieces so that I'm not overwhelmed so you think all right I'm going to do an animated web series I need all these things and I would just kind of fall apart so then I would right. have to break it down to what First, like my dad always taught me, first things first. You can't go anywhere unless you do the first thing first. And that's always how you write a paper or, you know, write a joke or get booked or sure. anything is break it down to the basics. So, you know, I need somebody to design my characters. So when I was actually still writing the full script, I was trying to think how I would, how these robots would be different and how to describe them. And I'm obsessed with Etsy. Um, I don't know if you shop on Etsy, but it's uh, it's kind of, I've always liked handmade jewelry and People sure. that do arts and crafts and stuff. So I became obsessed with Etsy a couple of years ago. And I was just like 2 a.m. on Etsy, Googling robot on Etsy, and um, came across this guy that had these, it was called like My Favorite Robot or whatever, and these, these drawings of kids holding hands with different types of robots. And I loved the way he draw, drew robots. I think, he was the, I think he was the only person I messaged, or he was the first person I messaged. And I just wrote to him, I was like, hey, and it's kind of weird. I don't actually know what you do, but I wrote this <laughs> script, and it's about robots, and I'm just looking for somebody to draw them, and I wanted to see if you were interested in reading my script, and maybe I could hire you to draw things for me. And he got back to me. He's like, yeah, I'd love to read it. He read my script. He loved it. He had his wife read it. She loved it. And so we kind of just started talking about what we were trying to do. And so I was like, basically, I just need somebody for, like, pitch meetings to help me just to have a visual. So he drew up my main characters, and then Aww. I pitched it to a couple networks when I had a manager, but the more I learn about it, it's like it, I, it totally makes sense that some of these people, you know, weren't interested for the demographic reasons. I got a good response. A lot of people love the script, but they're like, this isn't, you know, we make cartoons for seven-year-olds. Like, this isn't for us. But okay. um, so it kind of died, and then, you know, he's the one that came to me and was like, I don't think this should die. I think it's really good. I think you should do something more with it. And so um, we ended up being like, let's try to make it in a web series. And I started talking to people like, you know, I don't have any money. And so we talked about Kickstarter. And right. I started looking at other people's Kickstarters and giving to people's Kickstarters and, and seeing how they framed it and what they needed. So I started to research how much animators cost and, you know, uh, you know, just equipment to uh, record voices because I thought I would do that on my own. And then I actually did a friend's podcast, and I um, liked where he recorded it in the studio, so I talked to that guy, and he ended up giving me a nice deal and becoming a good friend of mine. And, cool. um, 
And then the the cool thing about the animators is I was researching animators, and I was, you know, I was on every animation blog, and I was messaging people. And, you know, some people were really cool and said, you know, this is what it is, and this is the cheapest I can go. And even the cheapest – like, I know what my fan base is. And a lot of these people, if I if I hired them, I would have to raise, like, $25,000. And I right. don't – I don't, you know, my fan base is just as poor as I am. Like, I don't know if I, I could do that. So I was getting kind of frustrated and sad. And then I, um, it's kind of a cool story. I uh, I did a, a sh- like a, a slew of one-nighters in Maryland. And then at this one show I was headlining, this kid came up to me and he was kind of like, hey, I sketched you, which was like sort of creepy. Like, shows me his notebook and it's a sketch of me. And I was like, all right. And he, like, buys, you know, he buys a CD and we talk and, you know, he signs up for my mailing list. Really nice kid. And, um, you know, don't think of think anything of it. And then um, a couple months later, my college agent calls me. He's like, hey, this college wants to book you. The, the guy seems to know you. Do you know anybody named Grant? I was like, I don't know anybody named Grant. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I go to the college, <laughs> and sure enough, I see the kid. And I was like, oh, it's, it's the sketch kid. It's the weird kid. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know him. Um, and he was super nice. And he went to an art school called MICA in, uh, in Baltimore. And so we're just okay. in the green room chatting, and I was like, oh, what's your major? And he goes, animation. And my eyes kind of lit up because I've spent wow. the last couple of months researching, and I was like, I'd really like to see your stuff. I'm actually trying to put a project together. And he was so excited. So he was like, I'm going to send you my stuff and my best friend's stuff. So he sent me both of their stuff. I loved it. And so he brought his friend on, and we started negotiating prices. And luckily, you know, they're students, and they want exposure right. as much as I do. So we were able to negotiate something that was worth, worth it for both of us. And um, that was really the thing is is knowing how much I was going to have to pay for animation made my, you know, what I needed on Kickstarter go down, which was like a little help. But it's still, my goal was 4500 um for the Kickstarter, and I ended up raising $8,000, which is um, amazing, kind of cool. So, you know, and the same thing is just all this like, kind of research and putting it out there and, it's the same thing you do when you're, like, trying to lose weight, where you're just like, what diet do you do? How did you lose your 10 pounds? Oh, <laughs> you know, what gym do you go to? Do you have a personal trainer? Well, I'm, my goal is to not eat chocolate every day. You, you know, you start putting it out there, what you're going to do, asking people how they do it. And it's kind of gaining information, but also making people accountable for your goals as well by saying, this is what I'm going to do. So um, the Kickstarter going well was really the the – the thing that was the hardest and the most stressful, and it, I ended up reaching my goal in, like, five days, which was, like... I remember seeing that. That was amazing. You were doing so well, because I remember seeing all your posts and stuff, and I was like, go, Liz, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of crazy. It was was definitely unexpected, and it made me um, understand that I have been cultivating. You know, sometimes you don't realize, because you're touring and you're not just in one place, that you're slowly cultivating a fan base, and, you know, you kind of pick up the different people in each city, and and just because, you know... You don't see. You only see these people once a year when they come to your show. It doesn't mean they're not paying attention. It's almost like family. Like just because we don't call every day doesn't mean we don't care. But right. Um, right. So so that was kind of good. And then from there, like you know, my team's just really good. I, I wrote everything ahead of time. Like I wrote all the episodes, and and um, you know, we were discussing ideas beforehand, and and. You know, we're still working on, like, I think we're going to sign a contract with this company called Frederator. They're responsible for, like, Dexter's Laboratory and Adventure Time and Fairy Odd Parents. Um, so they're, like, an, they have an online channel that um, cool. that they have affiliations with shows that have been on TV. So they took interest, I think it's kind of cool, they took interest after one episode. So we're probably going to sign a contract with them and, and be affiliated with them, and hopefully that will help us um, continue to get a bigger fan base and more people watching and stuff. That's great. And how did you, real quick, how did you come up with this idea, the title for it? Because, again, you know me, I want to analyze everything. So, you know, why robots and the title Damage? And tell us a little bit about just, you know, the concept of it and how you came up with that. I'm super sad. Um, I went through (laughs) uh, probably, like, the worst breakup ever. I was living, uh, I dated this dude for uh, two years, and then we lived together for six months. And, like, from the moment we lived together, for that six months, it was uh, it was really really bad, and it started falling apart. And it was like perfect for two years, and then it just went to shit in six months. Oh, um, and so I'm living with this dude that I all of a sudden don't know, and he stopped talking to me. And when he did talk to me, it wasn't very nice. And I kind of was like falling apart, and you know, I was definitely smoking pot, but then I was having pan attacks when I smoked pot, and I was like, what am I supposed to do with these feelings if I can't hide them? Right. <laughs> you know. Right. And so I. 
so I was, I was I was running a lot, and there's a lot, a lot of my jokes come from from running and 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 just letting my mind shut down. And um, I just remember feeling no, no, you know, it wasn't just him. There's a lot of things I, you know, I'm just the epitome of of messed up and really analyzing and seeing what I brought to the table, which is there was a lot of fucked up things I did in that relationship and I wasn't proud of, and I just felt broken. I really just felt like right. there's something mental with me and it's not his fault that he can't deal with them and I shouldn't be mad at somebody that's not up to the job of taking care of me and so I started just looking at myself and being like I think there's something you know I spent most of that relationship being upset if he even tried to say there might be something wrong with me because I think I think it's like um how most people are that when you start to skirt around something that they have an insecurity about they lash they lash out so whenever he tried right. to bring up something I did that was kind of crazy, mm-hmm. I would snap back like, you, you know, I'm not crazy. And then as things kind of went to shit, I'm like, oh, I don't think there's something wrong with me. <laughs> yeah, so it was just me analyzing the fact that I'm, I might be broken, but it's not the end of the world, and, and there's a lot of broken people out there, and what do you do with that? And so it was a little bit of just feeling like there was something wrong with me and feeling kind of cast aside because this person didn't want to deal with my brokenness. And then at the same time, I um, I had a uh, part-time job. I watched a rich kid for about four years, like super rich, like Alec Baldwin wow. and Ron Howard lived in their building, rich. And um, he was adopted. And I always thought it was kind of crazy that this kid had the life. Like he lives in an apartment where the elevators door open and you're in their apartment, like that kind of. Oh, my gosh. Right, right. Exactly. So this kid was adopted, and he knew he was adopted. And, his, you know, he spoke French. His, you know, his mom was French. His dad was American. He went to all French school. I couldn't help him with any of his homework. He knew, like, Mandarin and Spanish and English and French. And it was like just, you know, even his English I struggled with. Like, I, I really couldn't help this kid with anything. He was in the third grade, and he was smarter than me. And oh. I just thought it was so fascinating that this kid was plucked. They just, like, found him in, like, you know, some family and plucked him as a baby. And his life was made. But from what I understand right. about adoption, both friends that were adopted and, and just the research I've done about people who are adopted, it doesn't matter. And they were very loving parents, just very thoughtful, very caring. It almost mm-hmm. kind of bothered me because they were just so lovey-dovey, and I did not grow up with a very hands-on lovey-dovey family. So I found it super weird and kind of obnoxious, even though the real response would be like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. But I never felt right. that way. I was right. kind of like, who, who hugs every day? This is weird. Right. <laughs> but... He he lived in such a uh, a nurturing environment and such an intellectually um, stimulating environment, and I just felt like you know and he, they were beyond rich that I can even comprehend, and I just kept thinking, even with all that, he's gonna feel a hole in his heart. Right. When you're adopted and you know you're adopted, it, that hole never goes away. It doesn't matter what you do. Those people always try to look for their parents or they always analyze why their parents gave mm-hmm. them away. There's something about that that just never goes away. And I found that fascinating that even when the stars align and you have all these opportunities and all this great stuff going on for you from affection to wealth to opportunities to to just, you know, so much how you can still feel broken. Right. And it was kind of that idea of adoption and, and what that means and then to to feel misunderstood and, and not understood by people even when you want them to. So this idea of being a robot, being um, almost like you're on a set path no matter what because you're, you're made to be something and then um, to be taken in by people that are never going to understand you. And I think I've just always loved robots and I always thought they were cool and weird and always been kind of a tomboy. So this idea of like, Robots that are broken, both mentally and physically, and given away, being adopted by humans. And so I, I came think with it's this, great. Like, I love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Even when I watched it, I mean, for I watch... a kids' cartoon. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It's no. I think I just like hearing the story behind it and how everything came together. And you pulled from, you know, not only your own experiences, but the experience that you had observing this kid growing up, like you said, in this, you know, this amazing family with all these opportunities, but there's still always going to be that missing part. Um, I think yeah. it's really cool. No, thanks for sharing that. It's really cool. And I think it's a great web series. I just, uh, right before we went on the air, I had a chance to go check out uh, Dylan, and I love the little singing and the little, oh, my God, it was just great. It's really good. Yeah. 
And it's just cool. Yeah. It's cool to have people involved. Like my sister sings the little uh, the singer people in it, and then she also sings the theme song at the end, which is just nice to give her an opportunity to sing because she doesn't. And she wrote yeah. the songs. She's just really good. And then just people that I've worked with, both people that I admire, and I just like what they do. And then just like my friends. So like DC Benny plays Dylan, and he's been one of my favorite comics since I was a kid. And he actually doesn't live too far from me. And he did a he was in a, a episode of Apartment C three. Uh, same with Dean Edwards. Dean Edwards is in, I think, episode six, and um, he he lives near me. He was in apartment C3, and just these people that um, have always been supportive and always listen to my ideas, and, you know, I ask them to be a part of it, and they don't even flinch. Like, you know, That's I try awesome. to, I, because I live in Brooklyn, and I know how, even when you don't do much during the day, just how you just enjoy being home because you're on the road a lot. I try to actually um, use more Brooklyn friends, especially when it's like, you only have two lines, but I still have to make you come out of the way. But um, sure, it's a lot, it's a lot of trying to be conscientious of people's schedules, and and then also knowing people that like like R.G. Daniels is a, a friend of mine that he's a comic. He he writes for um, Guy Code, their Guy Code uh, um, website. Like he's part okay. of our blog, I think. But um, he just has a great voice, and he just has a great demeanor, and he's so funny. And I've known him for eleven years, and it was just one of those things that like. When I when I I literally was like I wonder who would play T J and I was like R G I don't know if it's because they had the same like short name <laughs> initial <laughs> name but right. both of them, they both wear glasses but it was like one of those things where I was kind of proud of my like casting because they they he just does a great job yeah now everyone does a phenomenal job on it I mean it's really it's really well put together and you know very polished and yeah it's great it's really good stuff really Thank good. You. So, um, so yeah, just give us uh, give us some input on where do you have some upcoming shows, if you have any, that you want to plug for people. And, of course, you know, plug Damaged and your website and everything else you want to, you know, get out there. Um, it's kinda, I'm actually going to be on the road um, uh, for a couple of weeks in May. I'm in New Jersey at the Stress Factory. The oh, 15th. really? Yeah, and then I'm, I'm headlining... Um, I'm headlining uh, the draft the draft house grill in Virginia on the 16th. I'm still waiting for some other Virginia dates next week that might come in. Then I, I just have a bunch of one nighters in Maryland for all of um, uh, the cool. 19th to the 23rd. I'm in Connecticut. I'm like kind of all over the place. Um, but everything's on my website, which is LizMealy.com. And then um, really, I'm just plugging the crap out of damage. I I I I. I like it. It makes me happy, so I just want people to see it. So it's just damagedwebseries.com, and that has our Twitter and our Facebook and all that other fun stuff. But, you know, it's on YouTube, and it's um, it's definitely weird, and I, I like that it's weird. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's about it. It's all I got going on. That's cool. <laughs> no, I mean, no, you've got great stuff going on, and I'm just really excited to see everything else that's going to transpire. Where would you, you know, if you had, you know, your cake and you could eat it too. Where would you want to be five years from now? You know, what what would be your ideal thing? And I know it's hard to pick one thing because, as you said, you've really kind of grown as you've went through your experiences as, as a comedian. But what would you like to be doing? I would like to be doing two things. I want to be an international headliner. I would love. I love every time I've traveled somewhere I've never been before, and it's and I've gotten there because of comedy. Even mm-hmm. you know, even just like being somewhere in like bumblefuck. Carolina just because I would never go there naturally but I got a gig there and that's why right. I'm there and just experiencing a new place and new people so like you know I went to Madrid and did some shows in Madrid um, last September and that was like just being in Spain in general was amazing but then performing in Spain like that's what I want to do I want to go all over the world and, cool. and wherever I can because clearly I just know English because I'm lame but um, <laughs> I, I, I want to travel and and headline and just I don't I don't think I need to be a name but I I would like to be I would like to make my baby fan base and and have people come out and I think I'm definitely on that path but um that's definitely a big thing for me and then I really I really like writing and producing like I would love for damaged or just to write for any cartoon really I, I love animation and I I watch it more than it's probably socially acceptable as an adult um because I don't <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I watched, like, right. Boondocks and South Park, but I equally watched, like, I used to love watching Chowder, which was on, I think, Cartoon Network as well, and Adventure Time. I think everybody loves Adventure Time. It's such a good show. But um, uh, I've always 
loved cartoons. So I definitely like to write for, like, a cartoon or just, like, I don't know. I have so many friends that are just brilliant, and, and every time I read their scripts or read what they're doing, I, I would love to just be a part of somebody else's um, mm-hmm. projects. Idea. Yeah, because I just, like, I, I think there's so many people that I, I enjoy just, you know, eating with them after shows, let alone working with them. And it never feels like work when you're kind of right, just laughing and, and talking about ideas. And I've come up with some brilliant ideas and I've given tags to people and people have given tags to me. And I actually always like sharing podcasts and, and reading biographies about that culture of sitting in a writing room and shooting ideas around. Because it's, that's really what you, you do as a comic is you're just kind of dicking around saying things, and then somebody goes, you need to write that down. Like, that's really good. So right. I, I really like that culture, and I, I would love to do it on, like, another level. And I think, you know, it's it's kind of cool to be where I am right now, which is, like, you almost feel like you're a senior in high school and everybody's graduating and you're seeing where they're going, and you're like, oh, cool, maybe I'll also go to Harvard. I don't know if I can. That seems really hard, but... I mean, if I work hard enough, I could also go to Harvard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You kind of see where people go, and you're like, cool, I want to go there. What kind of, what kind of GPA, GPA do I need? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think you're well on your way. You've done some amazing stuff, and I'm sure there's just going to be nothing but much more continued success for you to come. Oh, thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate it. And, no, no, and I'm definitely you know, like I said, if people couldn't hear the live show, the podcast will be available. And it was, you know, great interview. It was really interesting stuff to learn about you. And that's, you know, that's what I like to do with my podcast and my shows is just really kind of bring out a different side of the people that, you know, people don't always hear about. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. No, definitely keep in touch. And I wish you much continued success. And uh, if you ever want to come back on, you know, at some point in the future and you have something new to promote, just uh, let me know. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And okay. I wish you luck as well. Thanks, Liz. Take care. All right. All right. Have a great night. Bye. You too. Bye. All right, everyone. Liz Mealay, please check her out. Go to LizMealay.com and check out her animated web series that is titled DamagedWebSeries.com. Some really cool stuff that she's up to. Okay, next week, next Monday, that is going to be, let me add it up here, Monday, May 13th, we have um, Fran Strine coming on. He's an amazing videographer. He just produced a documentary that's called Battlefield of the Mind. It deals with soldiers coming back from war and experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. So we're going to be talking about that web series you can check it out. Just Google it, uh, Battlefield of the Mind, and it has an amazing soundtrack. Um, Pete Murray from Low Pros on it. I mean, just just amazing people, uh, Stained and so many amazing musicians. So we'll definitely check out a song or two during the interview next week. And then we've got tons of more interviews coming up, so please become a fan of The Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook. Uh, just go to facebook.com forward slash The Carrie Edelman Show. And please like the page. It'll show all of my upcoming guests and people that I am supporting and promoting. Also, I would love to keep in touch with people personally. So befriend me on Facebook. I have two personal pages. One's maxed out, so just find the one that's not. Send me a friend request. Um, follow me on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. And, um, yeah, just great show tonight with Liz. If you tuned in late, you could check out the podcast, download it, stream it. Uh, right after it is over, I will be posting it. So thank you so much again for the support for everyone who keeps tuning in and listening to the podcast and supporting all these amazing guests. As I said, I have now probably like 135 to 140 interviews. Just uh, scroll through the pages, find something that you're interested in, comedian, musician, and uh, check it out. Some really cool, unique, and authentic stories that all of my guests have had to share about their journey in uh, their industry. So we'll close the show tonight with uh, one of the songs off of my album, Leave It All Behind, which you can find on iTunes by searching Carrie Edelman. And if you like what you hear, please uh, download a copy or download the song. And uh, tonight, let's play Sinking In. I think that describes uh, some of the stuff that Liz was talking about when you, you know, have some struggles and and deal with some things and difficult people in life. So uh, check it out, Sinking In off my album, Leave It All Behind. And we'll be back next Monday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks so much and have a great night.